Bibles tonight to the book of Daniel. I was just sitting there thinking in light of uh, our text tonight, which we'll get to in a little bit, I was just thinking about the fact that so many people have the idea some way or another that Sunday school is for kids uh, and nothing could be further from the truth. Over the years, I've often said that if you really want to learn the Bible, now, whenever I say that, I'm, I'm speaking about here because I realize that it's not the same in some churches, but if it's done right anyway, if you really want to learn the Bible, the best place to be is in Sunday school because we take it verse by verse and through a book of the Bible. Usually, there are some exceptions to that whenever we take a subject, but the thing of it is, uh, it's not just for children, and, and the reason I'm thinking about that is because I mentioned a while ago, back whenever I first got saved, and, and, and I didn't know any of the songs. Well, not only did I not know any of the songs, I didn't know any of the stories from the Bible. You know, uh, well, you know, I, I guess I maybe had heard about the flood and Noah's Ark or something, but uh, I'm not sure how I even heard about that. I never heard anybody really talk about it or anything. So I, I, I had no idea that the, the Bible was divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know whether Moses was born before Christ or after Christ or who Abraham was or anything. So everything was a new learning experience for me. I'll never forget um Within a few months after being saved, going to my pastor and telling him I'd like to teach a Sunday school class, and, <laughs> and uh, I would never recommend that a pastor do what he did, but, uh, you know, I said, look, I don't know anything about the Bible, but I really would love to be able to, you know, to teach teach these kids and uh uh, teach God's Word. And he said, well, how are you going to teach it if you don't know anything about it? And I said, well, if, if you'll tell me what the lesson is, I could come over to your house one day a week and you could teach me the lesson and then and then I'd teach that lesson on Sunday. Well, he did that. He took me up on that offer. I don't know why, but he did. And, and I'm thankful that he did. He probably shouldn't have, but he did. But I mention that because there's nothing more exciting than learning the Bible and teaching the Bible. And we need to get it out of our mind that that Sunday school and Bible study is just for kids. Now, I'm saying all that for a reason. The title of my message tonight is taken from a children's chorus that used to be really popular just about every Sunday school uh, they would be singing this chorus at, at, at least occasionally, and I, I don't know if anybody uses it anymore, but it's Dare to Be a Daniel. That's the name of the, uh, of the little chorus, and uh, prob- probably most of you here know that, Dare to Be a Daniel, Dare to Stand Alone, and so forth. And uh, so that's what we're going to consider tonight. Sometimes the most simple stories in the Bible are much more profound than what we think they are. By that, I mean they might be simple enough that a child can understand the story, 
but they can be so profound that a scholar cannot comprehend the great depths of everything that is said there. That, that's why you don't just study the Bible one time and go through a book of the Bible and say, okay, I've got that, I'm familiar with it. Well, go through it again and you'll discover that you discover some things you didn't know. And every time you go through it, it's going to be the same thing. God's going to open up the, your mind and help you to understand glorious truths and things that are really important that you didn't know before. And the story of Daniel, I think, is really a good example of that. The sad part is the first chapter is usually the most neglected part of the story of Daniel. You know, we want to get right over there into the lion's den and talk about that. And, you know, that's well and good, but... Uh, uh, but but I think it's important for us to understand what's recorded here in this first chapter, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, I don't want you to get lost in all of the details of it, and it would be easy to do that. Dr. W.A. Criswell preached 14 sermons on this first chapter, and so I, I, I mentioned that just to let you know it's real easy to to do something like that. We could just, you know... Go week after week after week just in this first chapter. Well, we're going to put it all together in one one bundle tonight and hope that there's something here that'll be profitable and that 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 each one of us might accept the challenge, dare to be a Daniel. Now, in the first two verses here, I want you to notice Daniel's trial. It says, and by trial, I'm talking about his difficulty, his tribulation, the, the hardship that was imposed upon him. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into, the, into his hand with part of his vessels, of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, there's a lot more here than what what might appear to you, and I'll try to sum it up. Here is a young man whose world has literally fallen apart. You know, most of us know what that is to some extent, don't we? Because we know we've all had troubles of some kind. You know, somebody that you love died, something you had got lost or destroyed or whatever it is. So we all have hardships. But when I say that, that his world had fallen apart, that's what I mean. You'll notice here that Jerusalem has been overthrown his hometown, not just his hometown. I mean, this is the capital for the Jews. This is the, this is the religious hub. This is the center of the life of the Jews. Everything revolved around Jerusalem for them. And suddenly that has been overthrown. And Daniel, along with certain other young men, have been carried away into captivity. That's like, you know, some foreign power coming into America conquering us controlling us and handpicking and selecting a group of young people that they're going to take back to their country, their culture, and do with as they please. That's what's going on here. 
So you try to put yourself in his place and imagine how difficult that would be, separated from your family. I, I mean, just taken away from mom and dad, your siblings, everybody else, gone. Family, gone. Friends, gone. Your world is turned upside down and you're forced to live in a totally different culture. And if we had time to just go through the Bible and look at all of the different verses related to this and the Babylonians, you'd see that there is a world of difference between them and the Jews. Absolutely nothing is the same. And here he is taken into this new culture and forced to live among them. There's no family, there's no friends, there's no freedom. Everything that you hold dear is taken away from you and your future looks bleak. Uh, you don't you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea. You are at their mercy. So what do you do in a case like that? I, I mean, do you have a nervous breakdown? Uh, do you do you just say I'd rather end it all than live like this? Do you try to run away? I mean, what do you do? Doesn't seem like you've got any future there. And then you start asking yourself a question, why did it happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? Well, in Daniel's case, we know it happened because of the sins of his people. The nation of Israel had sinned against God. These are the people that God had raised up to represent him among all of the nations of the earth. They're to be a light unto the Gentiles. They have failed miserably, not only in their mission, but in their morals, in that they have turned away from the true and the living God. They refuse to submit themselves to his control. And finally, it reaches the point that God allows them to be taken into captivity. Now, there's something important I want you to see here because when we think about, when we think about understanding this book, there's something here that I think will help us to cope with whatever we encounter in life. I believe the theme of the book is found in chapter 2, verse 28. In this phrase, listen to this. He says, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. That's what this entire book is about, to show that there is a God in heaven. You sin against God, the wages of sin is death. Whenever a nation sins against God, they're going to pay for it as a result of it, you see. God is in control of everything. There's no way the Babylonians could have conquered the uh, Israelites had it not been for God allowing it to happen. God let it happen. Why? Well, because God had a plan for them. And think about this. God would rather have his people living hurt in a heathen land than living hellish in a holy land. So you won't follow my standards living here in the lap of luxury, in the place that I have planted you. With all of my blessings, you refuse to obey me. And so in order to help them, he had to, he had to hurt them. Because some people, some people never look for help till they get hurt. Till they're flat on their back, they never look up. They never consider their need of God until they realize that, 
that life is tougher and bigger than what they're able to handle on their own. So God allowed this to happen to that nation in order to awaken the nation to their need. And here is Daniel, you might say, caught in the middle of it. Now, look, he's not responsible for everything that happened. This is a national problem, but he's a part of that nation. A good reminder to us that what we do always affects somebody else. You cannot sin without it affecting somebody. It always does. You might not know about it. You might not think about it. But somebody else is going to get hurt as a result of your sin. So this is the trial this this young man is going through. In captivity, separated from family and friends and everything else. And you need to ask yourself, I think, tonight, what in the world would you do? What would your attitude be were you in a situation like that? Everything you hold dear taken away from you. What now? Is there any hope? Well, as we go on, the next thing we do is see his temptation. And that begins in verse number 3, because now we're going to see how he copes with the problem that he is involved in. And like I said, there's several ways you can deal with it. You know, whenever trouble comes, it can make you bitter or it can make you better. And the choice is yours. That's why sometimes I say don't waste your sorrow. When you're going through difficult times, don't waste your sorrow by getting bitter. Uh, If you're going to get anything out of it, you've got to make the best of a bad situation. And notice what happened. Verse 3, And the king spake unto unto Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and the princes, children in whom which uh, in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave names unto Daniel, uh, the name of Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah, Shadrach, and unto Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. Now, I said this is a temptation, and remember this, that temptation often comes hard on the heels of trials. In other words, when you're going through a difficult time, Satan knows you are vulnerable. There are people that when everything is going good and they got a little jingle in their pockets and, and all, you know, all of their friends are treating them right, everything is going their way, they feel good physically. There are people that during those times, they do really well. I mean, boy, they just, you know... Uh, march to the proper beat, they do the right things, say the right things. 
but you let something go wrong in their life and they literally crash and burn. So when you're going through any kind of affliction, remember this, it is a trial. You are being put to the test and it gives you an opportunity to do the right thing. So Daniel's being tested. He's, he's being tempted to compromise his convictions. Remember, I said that he's in a totally different culture now. Everything is different here. And he has been brought up to believe certain things, which were things, by the way, communicated to him by his parents, things that came straight from God's Word. He had been taught to obey the Lord, but now he's in a different environment and uh, and tempted to, to compromise. If we're wise, we're not going to allow the world to crowd us into its mold. There in Romans chapter 12 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world. And literally, in the Greek language, that is exactly a proper interpretation. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let them form you, shape you, and dictate your manner of life. That's what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to capture the minds of these teenagers and use them for his evil purpose. And you'll know he picked out certain ones. I mean, they, they met certain criteria. They were very skillful, very intelligent. You could say he picked out the cream of the crop among these young people. And his plan is to use them for his evil purposes. You'll notice he didn't torture them. Now, had they provoked him in some way, it might, might be that that would have happened, but, but that's not his method of operating with them. There, there's no torture. He didn't say, look, I'm, I'm going to beat the living daylights out of you if you don't do this or that. The fact is, they were, you could say, rewarded, at least by the standard of the world. They, they ate the king's meat. Let me tell you, the average citizen out there in Babylon wasn't eating the king's meat. They wasn't eating like a king. They didn't have the privilege of being there with the king and enjoying all of the things that the king provided. But he is he is bestowing all of these honors and blessings upon them, but it's for the purpose of trying to strip them of their identity of the past. Daniel means God is my judge, and you'll notice what it is. He changed his name, Belteshazzar. That means whom Baal, who is a false god, the god of the Babylonians, whom Baal favors. It's like, son, I'm going to change your name because I've, you know, I've, I, I'm, I'm just convinced that you're a young man that Baal favors. I'm going to call you Belteshazzar. And so he gave him a new name. And, and so this is revealing Daniel's dilemma now. What in the world is he going to do now? I'm, think about what would you have done? Well, maybe you ought to think about this question. What are you doing? Are you letting the world shape you and mold you and make you into what it wants you to be? Especially these young people, you've got pressure on you all of the time. You turn the TV on or whatever it is and you watch a certain sitcom or you know, whatever, and the world is trying to, 
trying to form your beliefs. And several years ago, they took a survey among all of the uh, all, all of the directors and the producers of the TV programs and asked them the question if they had an agenda for what they were doing. That is the content of their programs. Is there some reason that this is the particular theme or the subject of your show? And nearly all of them, I'm talking about 90-some percent of them, admitted, yes, we do. So whenever you see something on there that is unseemly, something that is maybe even shocking, something that would not have been acceptable in society 10 years ago, that is by design. Amen. They Amen. intend to shape your thinking and your attitude toward different things. And at, at first it starts out, the other day, for example, I, I was, uh, I, there was a certain episode of Dr. Phil that I wanted to see, guilty. I, I don't watch it every day, but sometimes uh, things are really interesting. I wanted to see it, so I turned it on. But I was like five minutes, five minutes before getting on the station, you know. I don't know I, the, the, the name of the, of the, soap opera that's on just before that had two men kissing. I'm not talking about a peck on the cheek. And I thought to myself, that how, how did that happen? How has it happened that that now has become acceptable in the middle of the day programming it? It's mind-boggling. Well, it's because the world is trying to shape what you think because if they can control what you think, they can control what you do. Now, that's kind of what's going on here with Daniel. So the king wants to use these very talented young men for his evil purpose. And so he, you could say, is showering them with blessings, making life easy and comfortable for them. And this is a great temptation, a test for Daniel and the others. The good news is, is that as we read on in this chapter, we see Daniel's triumph. We see how he got the victory over this. And we're going to take time to read part of it. Look in verse number 8, for example. Verse number 8, it says, And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Man, what a great statement that is you ought to you ought to color that in yellow or mark it in red or circle it in ink or something daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that that he might not defile himself now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Now, isn't this amazing how the God is working in all of this? In all of this bad stuff, where it seems like nothing is going right, that, that God is at work in the heart of those people, even though they don't know it. And it says, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? 
<laughs> There's a whole lot to be said for that. You old stinking Jews, you know, and and what have you. And we brought you here to make you better. And then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. And then Daniel said uh, uh, to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and and uh, Azariah, prove thy servants, put us to the test, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give me pulse to eat and water to drink, and let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children of the uh, that eat the portion of the king's meat, as thou seest, deal with thy servants. And so he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And to the end of the ten days, the countenances appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all of the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. In, in other words... Here was a guy that was scared for his life. I mean, he said to Daniel, he said, look, if I, if I allow you to do this and the king finds out about it, he'll kill me. And so, you know, because whenever he looks at you, he's going to see that maybe you've lost weight. You know, maybe your countenance has changed, you're depressed, and I just can't afford to let that happen. You need to eat this and drink this. And Daniel said, put us to the test. It's kind of like Daniel saying, you allow us to do things God's way, and I'll guarantee you it's going to turn out better than if we had done things your way. And so he consented to that. But when we think about Daniel here remaining pure, in, in, in the midst of all of the moral decay around him, that's amazing. Remember, he is in a foreign country. I mean, he, listen, he can enjoy all of the pleasures made available to him. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find out back home in Jerusalem. They're not thinking about him, you know. Nobody's going to tell mom and dad what Daniel's doing in Babylon. And so he's free to do as he pleases. You know, the real test of a person's character is what they do whenever they think nobody's looking. When nobody's going to know about it. When nobody can find out about it. Boy, that reveals what they really are. And Daniel is in that position there. Nobody's going to know I can do what I want to do. He could have dined on swine and wine, but he refused. Uh, it's really hard to not get sidetracked here. You know, we all know about, you know, the children of Israel being prohibited from eating pork. We know about that. And somewhere or another, we just kind of conveniently ignore this matter about the wine. And uh, I don't care how you look at it. It's obvious Daniel was a teetotaler. I I'm amazed that so many people will will go through all kinds of verbal gymnastics trying to some way or another justify drinking alcohol. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, he did, but do you know what what that means? No, you don't. Not, not if you think it was an alcoholic beverage. There's absolutely nothing in the Bible to indicate that the Lord Jesus Christ produced and allowed people to drink something that the Word of God condemned. When the Word of God says, Look not upon the wine which red, and giveth its color in the cup, and moveth about, that's fermentation. 
And that word wine in the Bible can, can either mean something that's fermented or the product of the vine. That's the literal meaning. It's the product of the vine. Grape juice, pure grape juice. So Daniel said, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to eat the pork. That is prohibited in, in, you know, among my people. That was a part of the Old Testament law, by the way, and there was a reason for that. I'm kind of glad that changed. I love pork chops, I ham, bacon, man. But back then, there was a reason. God had a reason for saying, look, I don't want you eating pork. And, uh, and Daniel said, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to drink the king's wine either. You know, it's really difficult, especially for young people, to say no when the pressure is on. And it's even more difficult whenever it's something that you might enjoy doing. I, many of you have heard me talk about the first time I took a drink of beer, and I thought that is, that, that's got to be the most rotten, awful stuff I've ever tasted in my life. I spit it out. I had no idea how anybody could drink something like that. But I'm telling you what, within, within just a very short time, all of a sudden, I not only had it acquired a taste for it, it was the best tasting thing on earth to me. And I'd be lying if I told you it still wasn't. It still is. I can't think of any, any liquid on earth that, uh, that has a better taste to me. Doesn't forget the alcohol part of it. I'm talking about just because I acquired a taste for it. And by the way, if you never have drank any young people, don't try it. It is just as rotten as I said at the beginning. You'll be smart to never even try it. But what I'm saying is, whenever he is afforded these opportunities to do something that he knows is wrong, he had the courage to say no. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, we're looking at the possibility of defilement from the manner of what he was eating and drinking. But listen, folks, we can talk about any subject under the sun. It's really amazing how that that, that it's easy for us to get all excited about. In other words, the preacher could get up and he could preach about some particular sin that everybody else is guilty of, and it's really easy to say, Amen, boy, that's right. But boy, it's a whole other thing, you know, if the subject matter changes to our sin. And all, all of a sudden, we're not nearly interested, uh, as interested in sin as we was before. You know, we'd really rather not even hear that. And so when it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself, we need to think of that in the context of everything we do, not just what we eat and drink. Whenever the Bible talks about things that are an abomination to the Lord, and you don't want me to go there, believe me, the things that are an abomination to God, that literally means that there's things that, that are putrefying to God, things that make God sick, things that are offensive to God. And we need to purpose in our heart that if God hates those things, then we are not going to defile ourselves by doing those things. 
And here Daniel was able to overcome the temptation. Somebody had taught him right, by the way. This goes back to his roots. This goes back to his childhood. Somebody had instilled values in Daniel, and although he is away in a foreign country, tempted to sin, he has the gumption to say, no, I'm not going to do it. You do it if you want to, but I refuse to do it. And I want to tell you, if you're going to keep yourself pure before God, if you're going to live for God, that's the kind of attitude you need. You do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to do what I know God would have me to do. And when we look at the story of Daniel, we learn that we can't live wrong and expect things to turn out right. It just doesn't happen. I love what old Bob Jones said, the founder of Bob Jones University. He said, do right. If the stars fall, do right. Boy, that's a great philosophy to live by. Because sometimes doing right's not the easy thing to do. Sometimes doing right's not the pleasurable thing to do. And that's what's going on here. I mean, Satan doesn't tempt you in some area, you know, where you're not tempted to sin. I mean, at least that's not the way he normally does it. He tries to lead you astray by, by tempting you in an area where he knows that that in your mind, at least, this is going to be a pleasurable experience. But it seldom ever turns out that way. And when it does, remember this. The Bible talks about pleasure in sin, but the pleasure in sin is for a season. Amen. Just for a little while. You get some fleshly pleasure out of it, but then payday comes. Now... One more thing I want you to notice about this chapter, and we could read on through the remainder of the chapter and, uh, and, and see this very clearly because it talks about, you know, what transpired as a result of this and so forth. But that has to do with Daniel's testimony. Now think about it for a minute. This is really amazing to me, although this happened more than 2,600 years ago. We're sitting here tonight talking about it. All these years have passed by and we're still talking about it. And that just goes to show those people that honor God will be honored by God. Daniel's testimony. By the way, that prepared the way for what the king was going to do later. Daniel was a man that had been enabled by God to understand dreams and visions and things of that nature. Uh, boy, I'm, I, I'm reluctant to go there because there are some people that, that, that they think every dream means something. You need to understand that in the Old Testament, before the completion of the Word of God, God did sometimes communicate with people by way of dreams and visions. And they might have a dream or a vision. They didn't have a clue what in the world that meant. But God did. And later on we find the king, uh, the, the king experienced that. And who did he call for? Daniel. Why did he call for Daniel? Daniel has made an impression on a heathen king. 
And he did that not because he gave in to the king's wishes. He did that because he had the gumption to stand up and say, No, I'm not going to compromise my core values, my convictions, in order to please somebody else. I'm not going to defile myself and ruin my relationship with God. And the testimony of Daniel and and his friends, by the way. Always oh, good to have friends like that. And his friends. Some, you, they don't get the credit they deserve most of the time. So what was true of Daniel is basically true of his friends also. And they revealed to those wicked people in Babylon that God was real. That's why a while ago I said that I believe that the theme of the book is found there in chapter 2, verse 28. There is a God in Israel. There is. That's an important statement when they said, you know, there is a God in Israel. Keep in mind that when bad things happen to the nation of Israel, let me tell you what happened. And we read it several different times in different ways. The heathen nations around Israel, whenever Israel would be taken into captivity, they would begin to mock them and say, Where is your God? This God Jehovah. You see, the thing that made Israel so offensive to the other nations is that all of the other nations had buku gods. They had hundreds, thousands of gods. Israel just had one God, the true and the living God. Boy, that's exclusive, and that was offensive to the rest of the world. Kind of like it is whenever we say Jesus is the only way to heaven. You get on, you get on public TV somewhere, you know, and get up and say Jesus is the only way to heaven. Man, I'm going to tell you there'll be people protesting that because they don't believe that for a second. They believe Buddha will get you there or Muhammad will get you there or whatever else. And so Daniel was revealing to them through his testimony, there is indeed a God in Israel. So I challenge you tonight as you struggle through this difficult world that we live in, as you face temptation and trials and difficulties like that, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Make it known. Let others know where you stand and that you have purposed in your heart that regardless of what anybody else does, you are not going to defile yourself with the things of this world. Amen. Dare to be a Daniel. Let's all bow for prayer, and then Tim's going to come, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. Understand, please, that Daniel's courage, Daniel's convictions, everything good about this young man was the result of a relationship with God. And folks, we can never be what we ought to be without that relationship. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you'll never be able to live the life God intended. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you, dear Lord, for the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
the faith of Abraham, the courage of Moses, and all down through the Bible, all of those great men and women who stood for the truth and did the right thing and refused to compromise. Lord, we thank you for their example. We thank you, Lord, because it shows us not what they could do, it shows us what you're able to do. And Lord, tonight we, we need you in our lives. We need the, the wisdom that only you can give. We need the power that only you can provide. And I just pray tonight that you'll challenge each and every one of us, not, not just these young people that are here tonight, but each and every one of us, challenge us that we will not defile ourselves with the things of this world, but we we too will dare to be a Daniel, that we'll dare to be different in this world, realizing that our difference is our testimony. And it's our testimony that enables us to be able to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us now tonight. We don't deserve it, but we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake and Your glory. Amen.